When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmitz. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Welcome to it, Weekend Editions here. It's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach. Damon Barr is in, and he even did his hair this morning. My Lord. Cranach, what's up? How are you? Do we not have Mark Cranach? We do. Hmm. Cranach? This is awesome. So, phone numbers to get in. 466-377-76-800-825-5865. Numbers to join. You can email chris at hailvarsity.com. You can follow us on Twitter and uh, do so at Schmidt underscore radio. Chris Schmidt at Mark Skurs for... Mark Cranach and at Damon Barr, that's two R's for Damon on Twitter. Coming up, we'll rewind with Gentleman Jim, the old coach, Iowa State and Washington State, longtime assistant for Devaney. We dive into a lot of things with college football, of course, Ohio State, Bama, Coach Frost, year four, and uh, just the, uh, the recruiting and scouting that went into some of those big-time Husker teams in the climate and state of college football and the transfer portal. Cranach, I think we got you now. You got us now? I totally got you now. All right. I'm my fault there, partner. Damon's, How are you? Damon, I'm good. Damon's freaking out a little bit. I mean, he showed up in a Wandale jersey. He's, oh, okay. He, he's, yep. he's brought a live chicken, if necessary, to 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 sacrifice to, to the recruiting gods. I mean... You know, this was uh, an insane week, but it, it kind of kicked off okay if you're a Nebraska fan from the standpoint of Cam Taylor Britt and JoJo Doman saying, I'm back. Huge. And that's all good. But Kentucky fans are doing some world-class trolling, apparently, on their uh, their message board spots. Yeah, and, there, you know, there's rumors, belief, hope that Wandale is coming home. Now, he is spending time at home right mm-hmm. now. Um, not that we're stalking on social media or anything. <laughs> not not that we're looking at his dad's posts uh, or anything like that. I don't know. There's a little smoke around it, there, but I I don't know. It doesn't seem. I, I guess if, if I had to bet money today, I would say no, he's not. But if he did, if he did. Dude, <laughs> it would not be good, obviously. Uh, but let's let's not give this rumor any more. No, that's fine. Know, I just life 
I, you know, tis the world we live in with college football. I know. And it's a supply and demand thing with the transfer portal because, son of a bee, not getting my, and this isn't, this isn't directed to anyone, but it's just a common mindset that we all had it. We all had it between the ages of 14 and some of us, it took till we're 30. It's okay. But you always think there's something better out there versus the situation you're in when there's some adversity. And yeah. we, we don't know the, the uh, level of adversity kids face. Adversity for somebody, oh, I didn't get a pair of Air Jordans, and I'm just hypothetically uh, setting an example of my son. Uh, it's the end of the freaking world. Or, oh, dude, my family can't turn heat on. Uh, because we've been out of work. I mean, there's a, there's a big-time apples and oranges with adversity in this world, and I think there's a big-time world uh, and gap of adversity when it comes to uh, situations kids are in, and, and God love them for fighting through and playing ball and we get a championship game Monday. Yeah, it's <laughs> – I know. And ad- adversity, I guess, is the kind word to, to put it at, but it's – you know, the, the more it's gone on, man, as the season is, you know, come to a close and you're kind of taking stock on where things are. It's I, this discussion's not happening if there's just more W's on the board. Right. And, and you know, like it's so whether or not there is any legitimacy to this rumor is, is another story. And we'll find out in due time. Um, but I don't even think the rumor exists. The rumor even exists. If there's just flat out more W's on the board, you know, and <laughs> it's it's interesting when y- you look at the prospects of the upcoming year and you look at the schedule of the upcoming year and it's, you know, you're, you're getting all the good teams at home. Most of them. Um, yeah, for, for the most part. Yeah, the good teams are at home. Non-con Oklahoma, different story, of course. Um but you're just like, I, I just it's very difficult for me. And I'm, I'm I'm surprised we're even having this discussion when you rewind three years ago. But it's very difficult for me to imagine another losing season. Like sort of regardless of who's on the schedule or whatever in year four. Mm. Uh, it's whew, I, I just think it, it's, it got pretty serious in a hurry. No, I, right? I, I don't disagree where. You look at, at this process, you look at the expectations, you look at where you you were after year one with the momentum and how you closed, and, and then you've got year two and the expectations and the bullseye, and I, I think the, the, the team as a whole was, was a little tight, and they had some PTSD moments uh, post-Colorado when we were out there doing pregames and Everything but the fourth quarter was a party, man. It was great. <laughs> and then overtime. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, you look at this year where you, you ha- you've had so many factors and it always kind of comes back to that identity discussion. And yeah. do you want to win a certain way or do you just want to win? And what's, you know, h- how far down's the iceberg go with yeah. – is it inexperience? Is it development issues because of 
spring and fall with COVID, and, and everyone had to go through them, but there's just a reality that some programs are further along in other than others when it comes to kind of the rebuild type deal. So yeah. I look at next year, and yeah, I mean, you got Buffalo, you have Bielema, you have Oklahoma, there's Michigan State, there's Ohio, there's Ohio State, there's there's Michigan, there's Wisconsin, there's Iowa, there's Fleck, and then yeah. there's somebody from, you know, Georgia that you're playing before you go play Minnesota, assuming you get to go to Ireland. I'm I'm excited to see where the defense can grow and jump to, especially with Cam Taylor Britt and JoJo coming back. Those two guys are phenomenal ball players. I like big the, stabilizing force. Right. The, the fact that those two come back is, playmakers. is a it's a it's a real stabilizing force for a program that obviously needs it. Well, it's a statement too. I mean, it's a statement about the defensive side of the ball, right? When it comes to tightness and and belief and excitement. I mean, all of those things. Uh, you don't come back. I mean, you, you could go make some money as a as a draft pick as Cam Taylor Britt, but but Cam's a driven enough guy to go. Man, I want to be a first or second round guy, so I'm coming back. And with JoJo, I mean, some of us stayed in school till we're 24, and it wasn't by freaking <laughs> choice. <laughs> well, and uh, you know, specifically with with JoJo too, I, th- I think if you have to pick a defensive MVP from the past year, he, it's him. It, it has to be. I mean, he he played really good ball. It was sort of like step and repeat on him pursuing from the backside and stopping runs before they before they got going, which was a sign of him recognizing and then having the athletic ability to actually do something about it. Uh, you know, whenever he saw a certain formation or something like he sniffed those things out and he, he did it regularly and it stopped, it stopped drives, <laughs> you know? So like, uh, yeah, that, that, that part is huge. And then, you know, you have Markel Dismuke, Deontay Williams, Ben Stilley as kind of some of the remaining candidates. Honus. That, that honus of course that that could come back and you you get two of those four you get one of those secondary guys back you you get stilly and honus back you're ready to rock really you're in really good shape now this this was by no means an elite defense they were not a lot better than you've seen the last five years well and fact is bud they, they did turn in some some pretty elite performances a couple of times they also had games they did not of course mm-hmm and that's kind of the difference between an elite defense and not is like, does it carry over week to week to week? And like, that's your baseline. Um, but towards the end of the year, they, <laughs> they were tough. Cranach, they, they were tough. They, you bring all those guys back, you got a shot. They, they dropped their yards per carry against a whole freaking yard and a half. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. and it was really, really high. But, you know, you're, you're, around four a little over four now and that's in today's college football it's respectable it's not two yards of carry or three yards of carry but you don't see that in college football anymore that's that's the truth and the the way this defense was able to keep nebraska football in it because let's talk about the the offense for a second i mean you're, you're still sitting at like 23 24 points a game you're, you're you've got to win every saturday in the big 10 20 to 17 it feels like when yeah, nebraska's it, playing ball aside from you know your eruption against purdue or your eruption against uh minnesota a couple of years ago going off against uh 
Maryland. We can count on one hand, like your your uh, impressive offensive performances in the Big Ten here. And that's where, you know, we talk about Wandale, we talk about the offensive line, we talk about the identity, we talk about the running back room, uh, the receiving core, and just the, what, what you, the, the stability you need. And that stability starts with identifying where you're comfortable and then leaning on that repeatedly until it stopped and then having a, a contingency uh, that that's kind of your your plan B if plan A isn't working well you still got to work out your plan A I, I think the plan is there it's just taking a little while to to formulate and execute I mean yeah the offensive and, and, line is is I'm excited about the offensive line I, I am and I know that they were uh, hyped and they still ran for pretty good yards against pretty nice teams but just for whatever reason there wasn't the devotion to to lean on it. I sent you a picture of our old boy from Triple B's uh, latest long sleeve t-shirt. It says run the ball. And, right. and I'm and I'm really anxious to see if that is the conclusion you come to after a, an off season of self-review. It, well, uh, that among many other things cuz the the problems that are facing Nebraska right now look, the, here's what what you're seeing offensively is just and special teams wise is just sure. a level of sloppiness. That that is just it's to me it's systemic, right? It's I think it's less so about any one individual player, any one individual play call. It's systemic at this point. I think I think we can kind of agree on that because you you presumably have enough horses, right, on the roster. Just the way you've recruited, it's it's the recruiting's gotten better. Your strength and conditioning, I think, is visibly better. Sure. Like visibly. If you if you just look at a person by person shot of, say, four years ago versus now, you have a much better body type across the board in the in the entire program. So I feel like there are certain things that are humming and that are on point, but there are a couple things that have just not been figured out there. There is not an excuse for why Nebraska turns the ball over at the rate it does. There's not an excuse for how it cannot recover or return kicks. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like there is not an excuse for why your only running game is essentially the quarterback scramble. There's just there's something fundamentally sloppy and wrong. And I, I'm my hope is that on the review of the season, now that everybody's gotten a little bit of a chance to breathe, which I think honestly is is a factor here. I know every other program was dealing with it, but I just think the last year has been just ridiculous, right? On on a lot of people, um, in a lot of different ways. And so so having that break and being able to really look at what is it systemically, and we could have a hundred theories for what it is. Is it the way they practice? Is it an assistant coach that has to go or that isn't bought in? Is it some, you know, discord or rift within the stat? Who knows? But you figure it out. Right? Like and it's and there is no more. There is no more culture talk. There is no more any of that. But it's it's wins now. Like you need to start churning some of those out. Well, Do you expect I, gonna, 11 and two. No, no, I, I don't think anybody expects that. But I think and, you, I think you'd party if you got a seven and five. But back to your culture talk for just two seconds. I mean, don't tell me that the cultures and I I believe that it's way better. But when push comes to shove, I think Scott Frost wanted to have a bowl game this year. 
and yeah, probably. The, the, the players yeah. voted no. So <laughs> that isn't same page material. No, they're going into year four. Yeah. And I keep I I rewind back to in the offseason when when Greg Austin in particular along the offensive line, the offensive line coach had had mentioned about the running game. He wants a bread and butter, baby. Yeah. He and he how he's and, you know, he was named the run game coordinator and he had said he was was essentially calling out Frost by saying Look, if you want to be about that, you have to actually call the plays to do that. He's not wrong. And we don't, and we don't do that, right? But then you couple that with the fact that I feel like Nebraska did call quite a few <laughs> runs. I think a lot of them got stuffed. So they just flat out got well, and that's, stuffed. That's just interesting, right? All right, run the football, put it on us as the line. All right, I'm going to call some run plays, and I, I can't have second and nine all day. All right. And and I won't listen. I I think there are some situations on that offensive line where you can feel really good. You have to to look at Piper and Ben Hart as guys who played pretty well despite some penalties. All right. And you can't excuse before they were really ready. Right. Right. I mean, you want to talk about guys stepping up at a young age? They they did. And they handle their business for a lot of the season. Uh, we've got a little glimpse of, of Corcoran, but damn, that was nice. And you got to have a discussion about your, your you know, whoever's at right guard, assuming Farniak's gone. And you got to have a long-term discussion about Jurgens And is, is he cured or is he a guy that needs to go play guard because of his size, speed, and athleticism? He can go still, he can still go on search and destroy missions. He just might need to do it from guard. Do you have a better option at center? Is that option allowed to be explored, or are you tied to this? Well, we're going to make uh, Cam Jurgens in the next Dave Remington, so he's going to play yeah. center. <laughs> I mean, it, it, well, totally. And you're alluding to something where it's just like, look, nothing should be sacred at this point, mm. right? So it's like whatever beliefs I mean, you quarter, had coming in. Quarterback wasn't right. I mean, the quarterback yeah. wasn't sacred anymore this last year. Yeah, but so whatever philosophies and beliefs that you had coming in as a staff. As a program, after year three, there are a couple fundamental issues that you got to figure out and figure out quick. And because because there is not an excuse for that level of sloppiness. There's not an excuse for why receivers are pretty much just a non-factor in the program outside of Wandale Robinson. They're just there's not a factor. (laughs) You know, they don't they don't threaten you downfield. There is just some. And again, to me, they're systemic issues. Here's it, my I, here's, I don't think it is play calling. I don't think it's I don't think this is those topical things. It is something rooted deep that they need to. Maybe it's discord on the staff. I don't know something. But you better get to the bottom of it, because otherwise you're going to have these same sloppy results. It's it's a slot. It, they play sloppy football. Mm. <laughs> Defensively, they did not this year. No, they, they were pretty good. Last thought on wide receiver. Where, and, and this was year one for Lubick, and you, you got a, a a guy you don't have to worry about leaving because of homesickness because he's not very far from home, and that's that's bets, right? So you've got that. You've got Austin Allen that's really emerged, right? Vocalek's a guy that will uh, get more looks as as he's into his second year, and and then you have Wandale, but but what else? You've got a receiver room that's been a topic of discussion here the last three years, right? 
post Stanley, post JD, and where where are you at? You've recruited a lot. You've also had a shift with an offensive coordinator and 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 position coach. You know, it takes a little while to learn a guy's style when you make a change on staff. And did you get on the field if you were not going to block, but you wanted the rock in the past, and now that there's there's a there's a standard where yeah we're going to enforce the no block no rock rule, and you've got some guys that are really probably awesome at running routes, but are they are they as committed or are they up to par where they need to be uh, well rounded wise when it comes to being able to block and set the edge and. And, and do all aspects of the game. And and they want, and we've heard this from a lot of assistants, they want guys to be able to do everything. And you've got to prove it and show it in practice before you get on the field. And there's that tug of war going on between, all right, this is something this dude can do really well. What, what, what does Betts do really well? Well, Betts knows enough routes to be able to get to the first down marker and, and get a few yards after the catch or run him on a jet sweep and do the little pop pass to him and let's see a seam created for 60 yards. He can get you a big play on offense. So, you know, you just need some uniformity with your expectations for, for everybody. Yeah, and then you got to fix – I mean, special teams is just – it's a – it's just an, it, it maybe being too strong here, but it's, no, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. It's just no, like, come it's, on. It's, it's a, li- like, it's you, a liability. It's a liability, yeah. and it comes down to emphasis and communication, period. And, Good, right? Yeah. Player and, selection and, or whatever. But, it's the, but that's, what, that's what Scott Frost is facing right now. And now, now when you look at the totality of his, of his uh, resume, you have that gleaming, you know, 13-0 14 and 0 season gleaming beautiful very few college coaches can say they've had an undefeated season he is in an elite fraternity in that case uh, besides that he hasn't had a winning record in any other season yeah <laughs> right so what the hell is that right like I, I i just hope he's uh i mean it's some there's some real examination that needs to happen here and i i'm I'm just hoping that uh, he has sort of the wherewithal to do it. And he's got the right advice to do it, mm. the right humility to do it. Um, because it, 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 when it's systemic like that, it appears to, to me, it seems fixable. Cause I don't, cause I don't think yeah. you're sitting there. I don't think you're looking at something where it's just like, you know what? We just don't have enough big guys on the team, or we just don't have enough speed on the team, or we just don't have enough experience on the team or it's none of that stuff. You got experience, you got size, you got speed. That I, I think we can all confidently say that. Like that exists on the roster. You you've recruited well enough to have some guys and give you a chance to win. You have you have your roster is good enough to be better than the results you have put out. You're good enough to be going to the postseason. End of discussion. Straight up. Yep. Straight up. And and you can't tell me otherwise. No, I don't. <laughs> you know, you just you just can't. When you just look at the, the the actual roster construction, but but why is it that no receivers outside of Wandale can emerge? You better figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of an important position in the in the in the offense that you want to run. We'll uh, spend some more time on it, Brandon Vogel. Uh, a very interesting number with attrition in Nebraska football. We'll. 
Here from Vogue's in a half hour, the Iron Horse, Gary Sharp, will be with us in uh, one hour, a timeout, and we'll get to the rewind. Longtime Nebraska assistant and college football head coach Jim Walton joins us. The Rewind's up next to Tale Varsity Weekend. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Now back with Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery with Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. Back into it at Tale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Excited to talk with Longtime coach at Iowa State and Washington State and assistant for Bob Devaney as well. Quarterback for, for Bob. Gentleman, Jim Walton, the coach, is with us. <laughs> coach, I love catching up with you. Happy New Year. How you doing? Chris, I'm just fine. I couldn't be happier and couldn't be better. And uh, good Lord taking good care of me, and I appreciate that. And uh, so, yeah, I'm doing all right. Life is being good, and uh, I've got – no, I hadn't gained too much weight for an old fart, so I'm going all right. <laughs> well, I'm. Uh, I, I have visited the gym. I just don't put the work in that I need to put in. <laughs> but my, I drive by one occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Well, I imagine you'll get out and swing the clubs here uh, in the near future, won't you? Oh yeah, you bet. Uh, we're, we're probably getting ready to do a little golfing in, in, in the not too distant future here. Kind of get out there and. Get my hard driving eighteen handicap rolling up down the course. <laughs> well, that is good, man. That'll be good. Well, uh, we'll get into some college football and, and just kind of the climate of college football right now. But want to start off with with Nebraska and and coach. I want to kind of go back to to your time at Nebraska as a, as an assistant under under Coach Devaney and just I guess your guys's blueprint not only with recruiting but with development and and the big 8 was was really tough to navigate through late 60s yeah. early 70s a lot of good football teams uh, aside from Nebraska and Oklahoma i mean you had Colorado you had uh, Missouri you had Missouri. Iowa yeah. State wasn't shabby then and and you know even Kansas State uh uh, believe it or not you know late 60s was good but w- when when you guys got to Lincoln what was what was the thought, and, and when you joined Bob's staff, what was kind of his directive to his assistants? How did he help you guys do your job, and in turn, how did you go, I guess, scout to, to make it a, a great situation? Well, you know, when they first got there, um, they inherited a tremendous group of athletes and proceeded to win a bunch of games there in the 61, I think, 60-61 mm-hmm. season, then they did, and they kept that up until they hit a wall about the 67-68 season. I think they went 6-4, which what was amazing is after, it shows you how people get spoiled, Chris. Mm. Now, they hadn't had a winning season in 20 years prior to Bob coming. And then all of a sudden they go 10-0 and or something in his first or second year there. Then they have a couple more good years. And then they had two six and fours. Well, they would have killed for those six and fours. <laughs> Just you know, a half a dozen years sooner, they would have been Mardi Gras stuff. But uh, there was some grumbling, and so when I showed up in '69, um, there was some tension in the coaching staff in regard to uh, how things weren't going the way they wanted to. And but I think recruiting is a key because. You look at the, the athletes that were on board in 69, and I think whether it was by luck or by hook or by crook, I don't know how, 
<laughs> but I think the combination of that coaching staff either got busy, got out, and got the guys that they felt would be good for Nebraska. And uh, they recruited a great quarterback from, from Wisconsin, a great quarterback from Iowa, and they used those guys they had. And they, I don't know, it's just amazing the athletes that they were able to get and how they performed. And then at the same time, I think they just did a marvelous job, and maybe it was a good era for Wash for a Nebraska athlete uh, to join mm-hmm. up. And at those years, you know, we were getting everybody that could walk and chew double bubble uh, from the state of Nebraska on either scholarship or, in most cases, the, if ones we didn't offer would come down and walk on anyway, and then they'd get scholarships. So I think it kind of fell into place, that era, and then – after that, you know what went on from 69 through mm-hmm. 70, well, and then all the way through Tom. So for the next 20 years, it was just keep repeating what you've done. And I'll give you a story about repeating. When when we won the 71 national championship, we had a big recruiting meeting, and everybody was talking on the coaching staff, talking about, boy, I'm going to get this kid my air, and I'm going to get that guy. And Coach Devaney kind of looked up and squirreled his face like you've seen him do a million times and said, Guys, I have a question. I know you're all excited about going out and getting all these high-fluting athletes, but he said, I'd like to ask you a question. What's wrong with the ones we've been getting? Mm -hmm. And so it brought us all back to to the point where let's just go get the guys the same, using the same barometer that we've been using. And that's what happened. Jim Walden's with us, Sale Varsity Radio, longtime coach, Nebraska at Iowa State, of course. Headman there in the Big Eight and at Washington State, some Holiday Bowls with the Cougs. Let me, you said by hook or by crook, I want to go there for a second. What program was the most difficult to recruit against? And you don't have to get nasty on anybody, yeah. but I'm, I'm just wondering, the recruiting battles in, in, this, in, the, in the 70s, what were those like? Well, a lot of our coaches, you know, Mike Corgan and, and uh, Jim Ross and, and had the Michigan background. Yeah. And we'd always, Bob and his staff had always, even all the way out to Wyoming, they had always worked really well with the Michigan State, with Duffy Doherty and, and whoever was, uh, I don't think it was Bo at that time, I don't know who the head coach might have been, Elliot, but was the head coach at Michigan. And uh, But Bob and, and his staff had always been very good at getting the really good athlete out of out of Michigan. And But when you're at Nebraska instead of Wyoming, you, gotta, you don't ask for permission. You're going after their top guys. And so that's what was the thing that helped, that, that Bob's reputation and the coach's reputation in Michigan got us some good players. And uh, uh, when he got Jerry Taggy and, and uh, the, I can't think now, the defensive back, uh, out of I think it was out of Green Bay, and they were two great players out of Wisconsin. So I think if you look at things, who was the toughest? I don't know. I, I just know that when Monty Kiffin went into New Jersey, I never heard him talk about whether anybody was hard to beat on Rutgers or, um, and we just controlled Nebraska. We went out. Tom would go to uh, California. Uh, he was in charge of both high school and junior college in California. We were darn lucky, that, and he did a great job of getting guys. Uh, he brought us four great junior college kids out of, the, out of California. And I don't think we cross-blades with a lot of guys like they do today. We didn't have that key team that was hard for us to get them. Mm. We didn't recruit Oklahoma, so we didn't have a problem with that. We hardly ever went to Texas. We stayed in Iowa. We stayed in Minnesota. We stayed in the Midwest, and I think that was very profitable for us. 
Jim Walden's with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, uh, you had a chance to watch a little bit of 2020 football. Nebraska deciding not to go to a bowl game. Mm-hmm. They ended the, the season the right way, though, running the football and winning at Rutgers on a cold Friday night. What's your impression uh, of Scott's third season? They're 3-5, and five, and we talk about the fan base and the expectations a lot here, and there's a, a really, really tough schedule in 2021, but you know, Nebraska's uh, recruited well on paper. There's been some of those guys that have been developed on the defensive side of the ball just waiting for the offense to take off around here. Well, I think everything is is probably the way it ought to be right now. This is. Let me just give you my version. Sure. I think when, when you come into a place like, like Frosty did and your reputation is big and you know the place, your expectations are off the wall. I think the Nebraskans saw what he did at Central Florida. And they had this vision that he would come in and do magic right away at Nebraska. Well, it didn't occur to them that the competition in Central Florida plays 12 weeks of the season is anywhere near the competition that Frosty's going to have to play at Nebraska week after week. Mm. So that had to settle. But here's the good news. And this is from my heart. Uh, when you get everyone in your program, and next year will be his fourth year, they will not be, with the exception of a junior college transfer or somebody, uh, 90% of the guys in the program next year have been with him. He will have sophomores, juniors, and seniors. So he's upper third class will all be guys who have been there before. They know the staff. They know what's expected. They're not going to be fooled by any new terminologies or anything else, unless he has a coaching change, and that's a small thing. I think you're going to see a remarkably different uh, Nebraska team when you start seeing everybody there quietly getting on the same page. The expectations of the players know, uh, the coaches know what to expect from them, and they know what to expect from the coaches. Second thing that is vitally needed at Nebraska, they need their crowd. And I mean that sincerely. There are teams in the country – and I say this all the time. There are some teams can get used to playing in front of, you know, not, not a full house or, or maybe a full house that's not that characteristic. Mm-hmm. But Nebraskans are different. That crowd, they need their crowd. That crowd is, is what can separate you from a three-point loss to a five-point win. And so I, I, look, I think time is good for, for Scott. I think he will have everybody in place. I think hopefully you won't have a coaching change unless there's some coaches that just are not getting it done, and then you got to make a change. And that's that's to the benefit. And so if they, if you have some coaches that are not happy with the way you're doing things, encourage them to leave. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that as nicely as I know how. I had to encourage a couple over the years. And uh, and then get some guys in there that are wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, and ready to roll uh, with the guys they're coaching. And so uh, that's my feelings. I, I think the fourth year that Scott Frost will now understand how tough Purdue is, mm. stop looking at you know how good Michigan State's going to be. You know how good Ohio State, Penn State, Iowa, they never change. What you got to learn is how good is Minnesota, how good is Illinois, how mm. good is uh, Rutgers, for goodness sake. And so you have to make sure that you're ready, just like the old days in the Big Eight. You, you, we all knew Oklahoma. Uh, we all knew Missouri was going to be up tough. We all knew Colorado. But be careful of Iowa State and Okie State and Kansas. 
And those are the times you had to be real careful or you'd get your nose blood. Jim Walden, a couple more minutes with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, I want to dive into to your experience when you're putting a staff together. Uh, you, you took over after uh, long assistantships at uh, different stops, and you're down in Miami, you were with Monty. I mean, you, you had some some great coaches to learn under, but you also coached a lot of years in, in major power conferences. And how did you go about putting your staffs together? What were you looking for when you were interviewing those coaches? Well, the one thing I wanted to do was a lesson I learned from Coach Savannah was make sure I hired at least one high school coach hmm. uh, from the state when I brought my coaches in. I wanted to make sure I had two, at least a couple of guys on my staff that had coached in high school. And if you look back at Coach Devaney's original staff, John Melton, Carl Selmer, Mike Corrigan, uh, Lloyd Eaton, I didn't want, they all had one thing in common. They'd all, Jim Ross, they'd all been coaching in high school. And so you say, well, what's that got to do with it? Well, I'll tell you something what it has to do with it. These guys that work with young people, they know how to deal with young people who have parents looking over their shoulder. And so there's a comfort zone of knowing that. And I'm not saying that you can just hire all the guys right out of college and that never been to high school uh, is the only, that, that that's the way to go. But I'm just saying it doesn't hurt to have some guys on your staff. Larry, I mean, Scott Frost's dad was an extremely fine high school coach. He's the kind of guy I'm talking about. That was the first thing I was looking for. And then you always have the thousand people that you know recommending you, Chris, calling you, wanting you to hire some guy that's been on their staff. All you have to do is be real careful of who's recommending you a coach and as far as wine. So I just tried to find guys I thought could communicate, guys that were enthusiastic. And I had coached with two or three of those. Pat Rule, Golden Rule, we called him, was one wonderful coach. But that's kind of how I did it, just word of mouth and then uh, interview them and then some of the guys that I'd coach with. Coach Jim Walden's with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, uh, national title game on Monday, Ohio State versus Alabama, Nick Saban, Ryan Day. Of course, Dabo was chirping all last week. Ohio State's got a, a long memory. And man, oh man, did they look incredible. Uh, now you got Saban's daughter uh, going social media. <laughs> so they're running out of bulletin boards, I guess, in Columbus is what I'm saying. But what do you think about Monday night? Well, I think it'll be a good football game. I have to go along with Alabama, but I think if they don't keep their mouth shut, the, the, the margin of, um, of the bookies, the margin of uh, victory is going to get tighter and tighter. Mm. I, I think Ohio State got everybody's uh, attention last week. You know, they'd only played six games. Uh, it wasn't a fair uh, for them to not make the playoffs, and it wasn't fair for some of the others who played 11 games uh, to not complain about it. One thing you you guys have all learned, somebody said, well, Oklahoma didn't have a great year of recruiting. I said, they didn't need one. <laughs> <laughs> so I say the same thing about Ohio State. There's never going to be a time when they don't have good players. And so I wasn't shocked. I really wasn't shocked the way they came out and got after uh, Clemson. And uh, so I, I it wouldn't shock me, Chris, in the least. If Ohio State were to upset Alabama, I don't think they're going to, but I think it's going to be a great game. Do you kind of look at what Saban's done, and does it continue to wow you, or are you just like, well, he should with the talent he has? How do you kind of view the Alabama program? I think it's all him. He's had so many coaches come and go. If you remember, you probably don't know this, but one of the guys I recruited to Nebraska named Burton Burns, 
was a running back there at Nebraska. Didn't play. Wasn't ever a great, great player, but a good player. But he's been a fantastic coach. He coached for <laughs> Saban. And he said, Coach, you coached for Nick Saban one year. It's like coaching for anybody else three. <laughs> he's retired now, so I can tell that story. But he, he just said uh, there are a lot of coaches that coach for Nick Saban that find out that there's a lot better places and a lot better guys to work across. So he is a hard worker. So everything has happened at Nebraska since Nick Saban came there. Mm-hmm. Give Nick Saban credit. The athletes that are there is because he drives his coaches to recruit them. The games that they win is because he drives their coaches to, to prepare. Don't start that stuff about, well, if you had those athletes, because the guy that's just leaving to go to Texas is going to find out one thing. They don't have that offensive line. They don't have that wide receivers. They don't have that running back mm. at Texas right now. What's your takeaway with Texas? And we'll throw Auburn in there, too. Be careful the, the changes you make, I guess. Do you, do you look at it that way at all? Yeah, I was a little disappointed in Texas in the fact that they get they you know when you come out a week after the season the regular season and say Tom Herman is not going anywhere and then he goes and beats the tar out of Colorado in a bowl game and the day after or two days after you fire the guy mm. uh, to me I lost a lot of respect not that they care they couldn't care less what Jim Walden thinks but I'm telling you I think I could speak for a lot of coaches former coaches and other people that would say. Texas lost a lot of respect for a lot of uh, people in in sports because of if you're not going to fire if you're going to fire Herman don't come out and say you're not going to and then for goodness sakes don't fire him after a successful bowl game why is Texas not doing better well number one they haven't had a decent running back down there in five years and I don't understand that because it gets back to recruiting if Tom Herman one thing if I'm concerned he didn't do good enough was find a good running back and I cannot imagine why in a state like Texas where Texas is going to get either the first or second choice no matter who it is in that state why you couldn't find a running back to offset and go with that young quarterback they had uh, who knows who knows where the hardships were uh, this year I was adamantly opposed to almost anybody getting fired. You're putting coaches out on the line and putting them through the worst type of situation, Chris. Mm. I can't imagine coaching the way they had to coach this year, not knowing if you're going to play, practicing, not knowing who's going to be at practice, who was there yesterday, who's not here today, and then to have to go through all that and not have people say before the season, all athletes are protected Mm. all athletic directors are protected no matter how much money we lose this year we're not going to fire the ad at nebraska but did you hear one person one athletic director one president come out and say all coaches are protected because they should not be graded on the kind of crap they had to put up with this year did some of them have lousy years yeah there was no worse job of coaching done than at the University of Arizona this year. But I'm just saying, I don't care what, even he didn't deserve to get fired. That's just me. I'm sorry I'm preaching. No, you're good. You're good. Last thought, Coach Campbell, Iowa State, where they're at. You know Ames well. I mean, there's bigger jobs, but he, year five now for Coach Campbell at Iowa State, nine-win season. Yeah. I mean, his name comes up a lot, but do you think he's 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 long haul happy in Ames? I do. I, I think he's a cut from a different cloth. I think he just kind of likes being where he is. I heard the fact that he made a statement that in college football, there's only six or seven jobs that if you're not being interviewed for one of those, why are you even talking to me? Yeah. And I think someone said, like, he said, like, if you're not talking to Ohio State or 
or uh, Penn State, if you're not talking to Alabama, if you're not talking to uh, Florida or Georgia, or if you're not talking to USC, why are you even bothering? If you're not talking to Oklahoma. Mm. And so in his mind, he says, if I go to anywhere else, I've got the same thing I have to do there that I'm doing here. So why not stay here? He's making good money. The people absolutely love him. And everything is productive, and so I, I admire what he's doing, man. And it is not—it's not easy to do what he's doing, and he's making it look easy. And I love that. I think he's a tremendous coach. Jim Walden with his coach. Best to you in 2021. We'll get caught up again soon. And thanks for your time. I always love catching up with you. No problem, Chris. Keep up the good work, my friend. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmitz. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll time. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Hour 2, weekend edition. It's Hale Bar City Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach, Damon Barr is in. We say hi to the managing editor from HaleVarsity.com and Magazine. His I-80 podcast, his book with John Cook, Dream Like a Champion. Saturday morning, a little bit after 8, means it's Brandon Vogel time. At Brandon L. Vogel on Twitter. Vogues, how how cranked up are you for this weekend of uh, football and, of course, Monday? How you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Um, in, in keeping with... Uh, Tradition. I'll, I'll, I'm somewhat excited for uh, NFL Wild Card Weekend, which is is a pretty big thing because I tend to mostly ignore the NFL almost entirely. But I'll, I'll check in on some of those. Uh, but for me, definitely looking forward to to Monday in that that national championship game, which I think is uh, well, hopefully, is pretty interesting. You know, I, I hope there's a lot of points, and I hope uh, one team covers, and. Uh, <laughs> What's your feel and pulse for Nebraska when it comes to the, the fan base? Is this a, a real bromance here after the trials and tribulations of 2020 between Nebraska and Ohio State? Is, is support going to continue on into the new year for Ohio State? Uh, the league, right? You hear the SEC fan base chant SEC. The, the Nebraska fans you've had interaction with, is it quite there for Ohio State to go get it done Monday? I, I expect Nebraska fans to, to be rooting for Ohio State. Um, do I expect the bromance to continue? No. Um, <laughs> Ohio State runs this league to a, you know, an alarming degree. A lot of attention you know, over these past couple of days. Thanks to to Mac Brown's comments, uh, in large part, have been about just the the lack of, I guess, uh, diversity. You could use that word uh, it, it, in the the playoff participants, and 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 that's certainly true. We see the well, you've got a clear top three in college football right now, and it hasn't really changed since uh, 2012. I'd say since maybe Urban Meyer got to to Ohio State. Um, and, and that gap, well, Clemson's gap over the rest of the ACC is probably a little bit bigger, but Ohio State really isn't that far behind, which is which is remarkable because the Big Ten is improving as a league. It's a tough league, as, as everyone will tell you. 
and it, it doesn't quite get the attention that the, the SEC gets for or get the credit for being as tough as it is, but there are no easy outs in that league. And Ohio State still just kind of runs laps around people. So I think you, you'll root for the Big Ten team. You'll be able to play the, hey, Nebraska helped fight to get Ohio State this chance card because, you know, it, it's one of the things you legitimately got from 2020. But after that, it'll come back to, hey, how's somebody going to rise up here and catch the Buckeyes? Yeah, it's funny you bring up, too, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama. Those are kind of the three programs. And then there's, like, you know, sort of everybody else. Um, and th- that has implications. You know, th- it's this all kind of coincides, and it seems like it's been solidified because of the four-playoff system. And so it's just uh, it just kind of, like, feeds upon itself. It just reinforces to the top recruits out there that those are the three spots you got to go. <laughs> no one has a chance. Do you think when and if the playoff is expanded to say eight teams, 16, whereas right now a lot of those programs have no chance, <laughs> even if it was, they don't really have a chance to advance to the championship. But do you think by doing that, that could redistribute some of the talent wealth in the country? Maybe a little bit. Um, I, I, it would certainly help if it if you felt like, you know, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, and, until something drastically changes at one of those programs, they're always going to get more than their fair share of the top talent in the country. But I think if it starts to look a little bit more viable, where if, if you know as a conference champion and a Power Five conference that that you're in, that could help. Uh, it, it might help USC a little bit. You know, West Coast recruiting has been in a kind of interesting span over the past couple of years in that a lot, a lot of that talent has been leaving more, more frequently than it would have in the past. So I think it helps with that. I think the bigger potential kind of leveling of the field here might be the name image and likeness stuff. Um, and, and we'll see what happens with that. <laughs> the, the Department of Justice kind of fired a shot across the NCAA bow this week to, to say, hey, uh, we've seen what you guys are thinking about, and it's probably not good enough um, in terms of antitrust laws. So there's still a lot to be sorted out with that. But, you know, it, all of a sudden, for the top guys can know they can go to Alabama. They're probably going to play in the playoffs. They might play in the playoffs three or four times. And it's going to prepare them for the NFL. It's just a, a pretty powerful combination there. But, you know, if, if all of a sudden it looks like, hey, I can go to Oklahoma and get all of these, this name, image, likeness stuff, I, I think that has the potential to, to kind of spread things out a little bit more, maybe even more than playoff expansion. The, the re- I, so, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. Chris, I just want to follow up on that. That's, that's interesting. I think we talked about this before when some of the stuff was really coming out, but it's really uh, – that's the chance to get teams like Tennessee, teams like Nebraska, teams like Florida State, like these places that have maybe not as much Florida State places that have these rabid fan bases, which equal market size, <laughs> which equal you can command more money on your name image likeness than you could at, say, a disaffected kind of place like maybe Stanford <laughs> where they don't just don't have a big fan following and you're you're tweets and all that aren't going to be liked by very many people. Um, do, you, do you see that as sort of an equalizer for some of the traditional blue bloods like Nebraska that have been struggling for a while? I think it could. I think it definitely puts a uh, 
it would seem to to be edge to those teams that you mentioned. You know, the Lincolns, the Knoxvilles, the uh, these places that are true college towns where you're really kind of the only game in town. Um, I think I think those teams should have an edge. You know, I know when Derek Peterson talked to Bill Moose uh, a little over a week ago, like. He, he's in the same boat. In fact, he compared it to its potential impact to to scholarship reductions and kind of the broadening of of allowing all teams to be on TV. And you know, and what are two of the things we talk about frequently with? Okay, well, why are things different at Nebraska now than they were? Those are two things that come up all the time. You know, you look back to, to scholarship reductions, and then for a long time, Nebraska was one of those teams. You know they kind of had the, the edge that some of these playoff teams have, and that if you wanted to be on TV, you went to Nebraska because you knew you would be at least once or twice a season. Um, that's gone now. So, you know, I think that we'll see. It's, we don't want to put the cart before the horse. We don't even know exactly what name image like this is going to look like kind of on an NCAA-wide level. But, you know, I, I, I can say with certainty, at least based on the interview that Derek did, uh, that, that Bill News thinks it could be a pretty big change. It is going to be that that difference maker because we talk about former advantages versus 2021, and we get into facilities, we get into strength training, we get into are you winning, are you winning big games, are you on TV, and yes, you're on TV, are you winning big games, it's been a while, everybody's on TV and this could be the the 2.0 version of Nebraska's advantage over some other programs that are really high profile. And and I I guess that's where I want to go next, Vogues. If you were to circle some, some advantages Nebraska has along with this name, image, and likeness discussion point, where is it at? I mean... Really, as we look at, at things moving forward, what what makes Nebraska different? What makes Nebraska special uh, out there versus some other squads? Versus a, a Kansas State? Versus a, a North Dakota State? Versus an Iowa State? Yeah, um, not a whole lot at the moment, I don't think, um, because it, it's just gotten so much harder to differentiate yourself with what would have been some of those traditional advantages that Nebraska enjoyed for a long time. Like every program has money now um, because every program's on TV now. And because of the money, they all have pretty good facilities now. Um, like, I just don't know if you're ever going to be able to get ahead on that. So kind of back to where we started with mm-hmm. this topic, like what, what is it? And a lot of it, I think comes down and, and, you know, some people will chafe against this. Some may not, but it's it's how appealing are you to to the player? And, and we've seen Nebraska take some real steps with kind of the personal brand building that they've done a little bit of, but I think they're they're definitely ready to do uh, in a name image like this era, and, and, and that's probably going to be the biggest one. And then from there, you know, it, it it probably comes down to how how appealing of a package can you put together for a prospective player? Like if you come here, no matter what happens on the field. And obviously we all care about that. That's the most important part. Like everybody wants to win, but we can prepare you with this, 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 and this. Um, And I think Nebraska is primed to be able to, to offer a pretty interesting package, but it it does become a little bit more like, you know, an in-demand job prospect who's weighing a ton of offers. And I think it's going to only become more that way as we go forward for, for better or worse. 
Brandon Vogel with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Um, let's get back to kind of on the field stuff. A couple of announcements in the last week with Jojo Doman and Cam Taylor Britt coming back. Still don't know yet about uh, Deontay Williams, Dismuke, Stilly, Honus. Nothing confirmed there. But I know, Brandon, you you go into the numbers quite a bit. You look at returning production. Uh, what can it mean for Nebraska defensively? Is there sort of like an expected average maybe jump in rankings or in yards per play or something whenever you get a certain amount of production back defensively? Because it appears that Nebraska is going to have a very large chunk of its defensive production back for 2021. What what could or should that mean for the team? Uh, it, it could be pretty big. I mean, if you're just based on individual talent, if you're thinking about, you know, I was thinking about it this way. Like if I were to draft, okay, you get a, just pick the, the, the Huskers that you definitely want back for 2021. I think Doman and, and Cam Taylor Britt probably go in the top three for me. Now, on a, on a broad sense, and I haven't started putting together returning production numbers yet because there's, <laughs> there's so much still to be settled. Uh, and it's going to be a weird offseason for that. But 70% is, is kind of about average. That's, that's about what you expect to return year to year. Um, you start to get into 80%, um, and, and that's where teams become much more likely to improve based on a, a really a points per game is usually the best way to look at it. And you're talking about, you know, improving by two, three points, just based on being that experienced. Um, so, so getting Jojo Dolan back who, who led the team in, in tackles. And I also believe passes defended or tied for the team lead. That's a huge chunk alone. Um, if, if Will Honus were to, to opt to return, that would be another pretty big slice. Um, so I think the is going to be in pretty good shape defensively. So, and, and, and that's a good thing. Uh, you know, we saw them take some real steps this year in, in most categories. And I think with where their returning production should end up, they'll be poised to, to, to continue that progress. Brandon Vogel's with us, uh, managing editor, HaleVarsity.com and magazine at Brandon L. Vogel on Twitter is where you follow him. Vogues, you, you took a look at the attrition numbers in a story you did earlier this week, HaleVarsity.com. And uh, kind of run through a couple of, of points you focused on. A, were you, were you surprised as you went through the years with Nebraska's attrition rate in comparison to other schools in the conference and other schools around the country? I mean, where, what, what slapped you in the face hardest, I guess, for Nebraska? Um. I was I was surprised when I did it initially for a story in 2016. Even though, I guess, kind of the working theory that I that I set out to to investigate a little bit was Nebraska's attrition rate seems high. Is it? Um, and, and it's it's hard to do a true like national scale analysis of this. Um, just just tracking all of those departures is pretty tough. But I did it for for all of Big Ten West and. And Nebraska was indeed the highest, tied with Iowa over kind of that four-year span that I looked at between, I think it was 2011 and 2014 at that point. And, and really, but I, I went back and, and calculated it for all of Nebraska's recruiting classes. And, and the average over that entire span is about 40%. And you, you have some up years, you have some down years, but it always seems to be between basically 35 and, and 50 
percent. And you just stop and, and think about that and, and think about what recruiting is and all of the attention paid to it and what you're trying to do there. You're, you're trying to increase your talent level every year, of course. So you're also trying to address specific needs. And for this century, so since 2000, you know, four out of every 10 of those guys are leaving. Um, it's just an incredible kind of breakage rate. You know, if you were a retail operation <laughs> that you knew that four out of every 10 plates you make are going to break, like it's tough. Um, it's tough to get ahead that way. I think a lot of it's just inherent to how Nebraska has to recruit. Um, they have to recruit nationally. And I think um, and this is tough to prove, but my working theory is that it just increases the likelihood that for those players who maybe don't, don't see success right away. It becomes a lot easier to, to get homesick and be like, ah, maybe I'll just go back to Florida where I know people and, you know, reconnect with a coach who I was pretty close with throughout the recruiting process. Uh, so, so that's tough. I, I, I don't know if, you know, winning at a higher level would change that, but even during the Pelini years, which, which were pretty good from a straight wins and losses perspective, it was about the same. That's a lot yeah. of Elvis. That's a lot of collectible Elvis plates to to shatter, Vogues. I mean, four out of tens. That's a number. Well, and then I think it's interesting. You look at twenty sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen in particular, which would you know comprise your upperclassmen for this past year. I mean, it's if my math is right here, thirty four out of sixty six players that you signed in those three years, gone. Not just. Not not non-contributors, not non-factors, not bust, like not in town. <laughs> they're 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 not even part of the pro. Thirty-four out of sixty-six. So then that leaves you with it's a big gap. Thirty-two players, and not all of them are going to be hits. You know, it's wow. And then break it down that, further to position group, right? I mean, yeah. On. So so I mean, really. Brandon, you look at that stretch between 2016 and 2018, where the attrition rate was 47%, 60%, and 48%. And by the way, still not done. <laughs> there could be more um, out of either of those classes. Uh, that's a you can't overcome that. And it is and is that maybe why we're at where we're at and why we're talking about a, a program that has three straight losing seasons because it just flat out doesn't have. Ex- enough experienced players like walking around campus. Yeah, I think the experience part's big. The depth, the depth part is big, and and you kind of hit on a key point. So if you just look at a a twenty person recruiting class and be like, okay, well by the end of it, eight of these guys will be gone, and then you know, so you've got twelve left, and you've got to you've got to take into those guys may stay, but how many of them are ended up being contributors? You know, when I did this initial story back in 2016, um, Jerry DiNardo, obviously BTN and, and uh, former, former head coach at multiple spots, said, if you get half of your recruiting class to contribute, you're in pretty good shape. So you didn't take that 12 and, and look, you're starting looking at six, maybe eight, if you're ahead of the game a little bit there, uh, of guys that are really going to make an impact for, for your program. And then you got a handful of guys who – who are there and do good things and, and maybe their value is proved more kind of on the practice field than the, on the actual field of play. But you just start to, to look at some of these numbers and you realize like you, you might be able to sign 25 each year, but you almost have to just to, to get what you need to, to do what Nebraska has even done so far, which isn't where anybody wants it to be. 
Brandon Vogel's with us. Vogues, uh, as we uh, wrap up, what are you uh, working on for this weekend and next weekend? What's on your radar? Yeah, so um, kind of waiting for this this last last game to get in on, on Monday night. Then I'll, I'll have a, a full closed book of, of stats. So I'm kind of interested to dig into you. There's really a lot to go into with the way this season was, kind of the impact of, of conference-only play. Like, how do you judge that from a, from a statistical standpoint? Because it does change. Um, seeing kind of where Nebraska's already at, I've kind of already started taking a big three-year look at Nebraska's success rate, which is a stat I talk about a lot. But just like the number of plays that Nebraska has won, um, which is kind of the smallest way you can break down football, is, is pretty out of whack with its actual wins and losses uh, in, in terms of games. So been working on that a little bit and just kind of getting ready for, for this off season. We'll, got, we'll have plenty more on as Nebraska's roster continues to, to settle out. And then I think like everybody in the state, I'm also pretty excited for volleyball to get started. So working through that with Jacob Padilla uh, as we get ready for that to kick off in a couple of weeks. That's awesome. Vogues, have a great weekend, buddy. Thanks for jumping on today. Yep. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Brandon Vogel with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Uh, really good insight from him. That attrition number very sobering, but it it that math adds up as to part of the reason for the struggles, right? And yeah. uh, we'll um, get some thoughts on the world of college football, maybe a Tommy Lasorda story or two from the Iron Horse. Gary Sharp's with us in a moment. It's Hale Varsity Weekend, and we're presented by the the Nebraska Lottery. to rise with Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Here's Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranick. Thanks for spending time. Weekend edition, Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranick, Damon Barr. Find us on Twitter at Schmidt underscore radio at Mark Skurs. At Damon Barr, that's two R's. We welcome in the Iron Horse, Gary Sharp. Sharpie, how's your Saturday morning, man? Thanks for jumping on. Not bad. We're uh, the first week of 2021. Kind of seems like many of the weeks in 2020, but it's all good. Yeah, the, uh, the the week was the week. Quite a bit of spillover. And Gary Sharp, you are in charge of going after one running back in the transfer portal. Who do you like? B, let's go to the other side of that fence. Do you need to do it if you're Nebraska football? Or do you like the talent in the room that just needs to be given a shot in a normal season? Well, I think you like who you have. Um, I don't know that you know exactly what you have uh, because guys were either infected by the, uh, impacted by mm-hmm. the virus or injured, and they never got into a lather. Um, you know, Romeo Johnson is very much a wild card for me because uh, I think he's the next man up, but he didn't play as much as we all thought. I, I think when Nebraska looks at the portal, um, they're very cautious. They haven't had a ton of success of guys that have gotten out of the portal uh, that have come in and made an impact right away. And I think they're very protective of their current roster, the locker room, and the ability to set and build a relationship with players. But I think at the end of the day, and this is, I think, program by program. Some programs, they have success in the portal outside of quarterbacks. Others, they don't want to do, you know, they're not going to dip their toe in there very much. I think if Nebraska is looking to update their roster or find the best available talent, running back is a position that I think they could use a veteran guy, an influx, a guy that has played 
uh, in uh, the, this Power 5, Power 6 level. Um, I think that guy's T.J. Pledger at Oklahoma, but there's a lot of people that are courting him. I just don't get the sense, we as fans and media love free agency season, mm-hmm. I just don't get the sense that Nebraska is all in on going into the portal to fix some of the uh, areas they have open. You know, it's funny, it, there, there's been some talk about kind of the lack of running back production behind Mills, and even Mills was injured for a good part of the year and didn't really come on till late. Um, it, it, now, a lot of times you'll hear running backs, you, you kind of know right away if you've got a guy. Like, you will okay. hear that. But I, I would hedge against that only because it didn't feel like Nebraska was able to get anybody going. <laughs> outside of Mills versus a, you know, sort of tired and depleted Rutgers team this year at that position because you had a really young offensive line that just had trouble blocking. Um, Is it too soon to write off a lot of the running backs that Nebraska has acquired through recruiting in the past couple of years? There's a, you have bodies there. You have highly recruited guys there. Um, Is it too soon to write some of those guys off? Yeah, I think so, Mark. I, I think a little bit the running back position this year is a wash because of the availability of some guys. And then I also think if you're going to mention at the beginning of the year that you know, Diedrich Mills is going to be a bell cow, then you've got to use him in that way. I, I think also as this season unfolded, it became that the quarterback was running back one. And that really stunted any success out of the running back position on a consistent basis. But you can be good at running back, but you got to commit to running the football with a particular running back. So I think those guys that are left get a wash. But, you know, any, any competition in that room is good. I also think you have to, in the offseason, figure out which role is best for each running back. Is this guy an inside zone guy? Is this guy an outside zone guy? And if he's an inside zone guy, why are we trying to bust him to the outside or vice versa? So that's a deep look into that room that I think will be taken care of uh, in the offseason. But it's also got to be helped by their success, the guys up front, and the quarterbacks are not the leading rushers game by game. Gary, I want your take as we take a, a zoom out look at the offense. And uh, there were some moments where the offense all right, looked okay. There were a lot of moments where it was just very clunky. And you're right. If you're going to run a, if you're going to tell me that we need some bread and butter, and that's Greg Austin, or here's a bell cow, that's Coach Held. They're both not wrong. They believe that. They feel really good about that. But when push comes to shove, uh, there was hesitancy to, to lean on the run game or or go to it. And, and maybe that's because the box was stacked against your offense because of, of your passing game or the lack of respect for your passing game i mean this is just one vicious cycle isn't it where you've got a lot of dominoes lined up on one another with this offense if you're going to get what is what needs to happen what's step one in this chain reaction that needs to get fixed for 2021 well i think you also you have to the people that are calling plays i think they they call plays by their trust factor if on third and three, they feel like they can just line up and get three or four yards or more, they're going to do it. I got the sense a lot of times last year there was not a lot of faith in the offensive line at certain situations where they could just line up and run. But that also flips back to the running back. You know, when you look at the mm-hmm. Rutgers game, and Mark, Mark's right, 
Rutgers was tired and they were depleted on the defensive ball, the side of the ball, but Nebraska lined it up and ran and they had trust in their offensive line in that game. It's just a, it's a weird mix of, of feelings on how Nebraska approaches the running game, but they've got to get better, more consistent in that area. But I think if the guys up front, though, your best five offensive linemen are having a good day, then I don't think we're having these kind of discussions. And I think that they're running the football when they need to run the football. Um, and they can run it at will. Let's just hope that's the case. Um, because they can attract running backs, but I think we're all searching for that, that Halu, that Burkhead, mm-hmm. that Amir. Not necessarily the super talent that those three had, but the amount of carries that you could rely on them per game. We thought that was going to be Mills. Didn't happen. I think there's probably a couple of candidates that are currently in the program, but you've got to commit to it. Gary Sharp with us on Hale Varsity Radio. We, we were talking in the first hour um, as we as we open the show just about, you know, you're, you're, you're at the point now where you're coming into year four, you have three straight losing seasons, and, you know, call you, you can talk about the pandemic, but everybody was dealing with that too. Um, but it's just flat out, it's, a, it's sloppy football, right? Uh, defensively, it wasn't this year. Like, that was a fairly stable defense that, that you trotted out on the field. But offensively, it's sloppy. Special teams, it's sloppy. What changes that? Like, what, it, And do you feel like it is a systemic issue that Frost and his staff really need to uncover to fix? Or do you think it's more of a topical issue where it's just like, oh, no, we just need you know, faster guys at this position or stronger guys at this position? Or do you think it's more systemic, something that they're doing practice or in the film room or otherwise um, that's just leading to sloppy play offensively and on special teams? Well, I think it's, I think it's the DNA of the current program is that the little things, the attention to detail, making winning plays, situational football, I think those are all tied in together on what ails Nebraska right now. Can it be fixed in the offseason? Certainly. You know, but you have, to, you have to make a dedicated movement towards fixing those things. I've said really towards the tail end of the season as you make the transition to year three to year four, and you've got a plenty of opportunities to change the narrative in 21, either for the good or the bad, you've got to start treating this like a business. This Nebraska football is a Fortune 500 company. And whether you like it or not, you've got to treat it like a business and be a businessman with a headset on and make those business decisions. And people need to be held accountable. But I also think not only accountable on the field for their development, but also the people that are developing those players. Um, do I think Nebraska is a long way away? No. But it's such a you, – you, you look at like Monday night in the championship game, and Alabama and Ohio State are a long way away from Nebraska, but they make football simple. They just line up and play football. They don't try and out-scheme you and then come off as the smartest people in the room. Granted, they have some of the best Jimmys and Joes in all of college football, but they make football easy, and they don't hurt themselves. Nebraska, with, I think, pretty good talent in the program, they make football difficult. They continue to hurt themselves. So what does that look like between now and the time that the 21 season rolls around that you get those things fixed so you feel comfortable playing every Saturday that you're not going to have a wild card jump up and go, whoa, we didn't expect that. We didn't expect Cam Taylor-Britt to fumble the football midfield in Iowa City. Well, or did you? Because he did it in practice. So I I think there's going to be um, uh, a come-to-Jesus kind of a fleecing of the program on what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong in the offseason. 
and then work on those things because there's a lot of more little things, guys, than I think major things that are ailing Nebraska football right now from going from fourth or fifth in the Big Ten West to maybe even being in the conversation of playing for a division title. Those little things turn into big things in in, uh, a lot of important ball games. And, yeah, can you – can you focus and drill down? Gary Sharp's with us. Sharpie, let's go to Monday night. What are your thoughts and feelings with this matchup, with this showdown? What are you expecting? Well, I think it's great for I think it's great for the, the diehard college football fan that loves really good football. Um, I mean, you can't tell the story of college football without these two programs. Um, when you recruit like they do, you got the head coaches and the staffs that they do to develop and send guys to the league. They're expected to be in these situations. And I'm looking forward to the game. I mean, Alabama, guys, think about it. Alabama on Thursday night, look at all the individual awards that they swept. Best quarterback, best running back, best wide receiver, best center, best lineman. Um, They played a full SEC schedule. Then they played another SEC team. Then they played Notre Dame. Now they're going to play Ohio State. If they win, I think they get into the conversation as one of the best of all time. Now, their defense is not elite, but what is actually great defense these days in, in college football with so much uh, advantage for the offense? But if Alabama wins the national title, we need to be talking about them like we did against LSU because LSU kind of got a bump post-winning the title last year of all the NFL guys. Alabama's going to be in the same situation. I think for Ohio State, and the, and the gap is scary between Ohio State and the rest of the Big Ten, they're 69-4 and four in the conference since 2012, and they're getting better. They keep acquiring talent, and Ryan Day isn't going to go anywhere. Man, they showed me a lot against Clemson. They played that game with a lot of anger towards Clemson. I don't know if they can get it ratcheted back up to play a team like Alabama, and we don't know who may or may not play for Ohio State. Give me eight points. I'll take Ohio State as an underdog. Now, I think Alabama went straight up, but I think Ohio State stays in this game, and I think a big reason is a play of Justin Fields, who, if he has a big game against the Saban defense, he may be in real conversation for the Jets taking him at number two. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, Gary Sharp with us on, on Hale Varsity Radio. You know, that said, Alabama is, you know, obviously the, the preeminent program in America, and – They've been able to kind of plug and play quarterbacks. They all have success because they play behind great offensive lines. You have great receivers, great running backs, blah, blah, blah. But I think Mac Jones is a break from that mold. I, do you do you see the same things I'm seeing where I'm just like, that guy's like subtle pocket movement and his ability to deliver strikes 40 to 60 yards downfield with that subtle pocket movement, keeping his eyes downfield. I, I think he's fantastic. Is he maybe a little? Does he get enough credit, or do you think he maybe gets too much? I just don't see him as a system plug and play guy. I see him as an like an actual difference maker at that position. Mark, that's a great observation. I agree with you, and he probably doesn't get as much run because of Harris and Smith and Waddle before he got injured. And you think, oh, it's part of the system. You're right. He's got a big boy arm. He's not one of those mobile, dynamic quarterbacks that's going to RPO you into the ground. He's just a guy that's got a big boy arm. He's got a big-time football IQ who, look at his accuracy. I mean, he's thrown into tight windows. It's not like he's just the quarterback and all these other guys are making plays. I think he's a a major reason why they are where they are. And he kind of came out of nowhere. Remember, he he got thrown into the mix because, oh, hey, Tua got injured. This season isn't going to end up in the playoffs. Can he just finish out the year? Well, he did. 
And then they bring in this hotshot California quarterback, a five-star in Bryce Young, supposed to be their quarterback. Mac Jones beats him out and has not looked back. I really like watching him play because he's, you know, he's a big quarterback. He's not one of those little running backs that are playing quarterback. <laughs> um, he's fun to watch, and I, 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 he is, he, he's helped his stock. I don't know if he's a first-round guy, but he could be gone by he could be gone by the second day of the NFL draft. And who would have thought that coming into this year? You know, I, I look at Ed Mack, and he's a little different than Tua and Hurts. Uh, but the mobility is great in the pocket, and he's just—he's got so great. much talent. Yeah, he's got so much talent around him. But he also sticks his own talent sticks out versus maybe some of the early championship Bama teams that had a manager at quarterback, just kind of handing off in the I formation. Sharpie, uh, you've covered Nebraska football a long time. Any interactions at all, Jake Peets? I know he's a pride of O'Neill. It's going to be new the the new OC down uh, at LSU, and uh, he's that part of that that Brady tree. And uh, just a quick thought on on a on a native Nebraskan getting a shot. Spent a lot of time in some really uh, important coaching spots. Well, I've only talked to Jake a couple of times, mm-hmm. and the one thing I know right away is he's a sponge. Um, he loves the game of football. This has always been his dream to be a coach, and you know he kind of played that. He kind of played that position in Nebraska, where people are like, "Who is this? Who, who, that guy played at Nebraska." Well, you know he, he's in a position at Nebraska where you got to do a lot of thinking, you do a lot of observing, um, and I, he's a sponge. Look at the the coaches that he has been around, starting with his coach at Nebraska. Um, he listens very well, and he's taken all of that knowledge and applied it to his craft. And it's, it's an amazing trajectory. Look at, look at college football these days. Young coaches, we are going, I mean, 20 years ago, if a 32-year-old or a 37-year-old, in Jake's case, were coaching at a high level in college, whether as a head coach or a coordinator, we'd be, whoa, you guys couldn't get the right person, right? No, it's changed. The younger coaches are moving up because they think outside of the box, they're dynamic, and they've also probably been around some really good coaches, just like Jake, who's absorbed that knowledge from different systems. So now that he's in charge of his own offense back in college at LSU, he'll be able to apply all of that stuff. That's why I like guys that bounce around and they grab knowledge from really good coaches and they apply it to the crap. I think Tony Tuyoti, if you look at his track record of where he's been, and it's relatively short career as an on-field coach, that's what you want. A guy that grabs knowledge from different sources, and then when they get their premier job, which I think this is Tony's premier job at Nebraska, coaching the defensive line, he applies all of those things. I think you'll see that same thing with Jake. I think it's a really good hire. I think Ed Orgeron loves that Joe Brady tree, and it was a no-brainer to go and get a guy that has uh, cut his teeth uh, in a short amount of time under Joe Brady, and that's Jake Peets. You know, going back to – Nebraska real quick and defensively you're, you're waiting on word from Will Honus, Ben Stilley, Markel Dismuke, Deontay Williams uh, as to whether or not they are uh, going to come back. How many of those guys come back in your opinion and when do we find out? So I was really surprised Dolman came back. I mean really surprised. I was not surprised that Cam Taylor Britt came back. Um, I don't think he's a first or second round guy so it makes sense for him to come back but I was worried about Cam Taylor Britt going home and a lot of people being in his ear. But Doman really, really surprised me. I would not be surprised if all four come back. Now, hmm. it could be because, you know, Deontay Williams is a little bit of an older guy. Um, 
you know, and there's, there's family consideration if you're about to become a dad um, in this whole case with those four that you mentioned. But if those four come back on defense, I would not be surprised, which is a shot in the arm, because Nebraska will have to be good defensively, on point defensively early on in the season, and it will drive the narrative all offseason that this program that has talked all about the offense and has a head coach that is an offensive guy, that Nebraska's success could be on the defensive side of the ball, and that might be the strength to carry Nebraska in 21. Who thought we'd be talking about that? What a, what a difference because the, and, the... – and, and, Go ahead. And, and with that said, whoever comes back to join Doman and uh, Cam Taylor-Britt, Nebraska has to be better defensively. They have to take what they did at the end of the year and make that better. They have to go from seventh in the Big Ten to, I think, uh, four or five-ish for Nebraska to have have good success. I absolutely agree with you. Any concerns about offensive departures for Nebraska? No, I think you know, I I'm, I'm, I'm imagine probably here in the next week. I think here in the next week, guys, maybe starting today, we'll start to see more of these decisions. Remember, we're nine days away from the NFL draft um, cutoff. Uh, they don't come back to school until the end of the month. Uh, so I think here in the next week we'll hear a lot of them. I, I, would, I would really be shocked if Diedrich Mills came back. And I think Diedrich has played his last game. I think he's comfortable with his brief career at Nebraska and also his age. You know, he's 24. He didn't put a lot of tread on the tires this year, but I think he's done enough. He's got enough film that he can show NFL scouts what he can do. I think it's important, though, as Nebraska moves forward, that they start producing NFL guys. We can talk about the recruiting rankings, but it's time for the Jimmies and the Joes to grow up and go play in the league to help your school, like we're seeing with the Alabamas and the Ohio States. Just look at the top ten teams in college football that have produced NFL draft picks, including first-round draft picks, since 2016. A lot of them have played in the playoff or will be playing on Monday night. Heck, the half the 21 NFL draft in the first round will be on the field. Uh, playing Monday night. I think that's where I'm shifting my focus is time to develop guys, get them to the league, help your, uh, help your status to recruit off of that. Sharpie, have a good weekend. Safe travels, buddy, and we'll uh, get caught up soon. Thanks for your time today. As always. Thanks, boys. Take care. There he Thank is, you, Gary sir. Sharp, the Iron Horse, with us on Hale Varsity. And not bad. It's going to be a bit chilly this weekend. Are you making some of that world-famous chili, Cranach? You know what's funny? A, a former coworker of mine that's now out in Philadelphia, I gave her the recipe, God, 10 years ago. She just texted me this morning that she's making it out in Philly. That's pretty I'm awesome. Like, your your name's on a lot of walls and a lot of O Street bars, but the, the, the wall you're most proud of, I think, is that, that O'Rourke's Chili Championship circa of uh, early 2000s. Yeah, I think it was 2001. Mm-hmm. So 20 years ago. I'm, in, I'm engraved on the Champions Cup there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right, man. So, yeah, maybe I will make it this week. That's a good idea because it is going to get chilly. Well, would you, huh. would you, Unintended. would you, yeah, would you publish that recipe? Um, yeah. I, Privately. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Well, and look, it changes every time, too. Like, you, you can't, I, I'm you not such a stickler to it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not such a stickler to it because the biggest key I've found. Can I can I just wax poetic about alcohol? This real quick? No, no, I, I have not put alcohol in there before. But it, so it, this is a ground beef chili, by the way. There's all kinds of different types, but a ground beef one. Um, and essentially, the ratio is you know a can of beans for each 
pound of ground beef, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're doing like two or three pounds of ground beef, make one of those cans refried. Ah, ooh, mm-hmm. ooh. Which thickens it. And the reason why I like a thicker chili is because it becomes so versatile. You could put it in tortillas and make burritos out of it. You can, you know, it's not all soupy, right? It's it's like a thicker, It's it, you could, it's almost like a dip. So it, it eats like a meal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's one key. And then another key is lemon pepper seasoning. Ah. Now, not by itself, but lemon pepper seasoning for the beef, which is usually reserved for chicken and fish. But it gives it a nice little zest, gives it a nice little zing. Um, so, so don't be shy about doing that. But ultimately, it comes down to like, I mean, it's got like 30 ingredients in it, right? So it's just like, Look, just throw in a bunch of stuff that tastes good and is somewhat complimentary, and you're 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 in good shape. Do you you're do really any sausage shape. inclusion? No, but you can. And so that's the other thing is like left. I always make the same similar type chili with like leftover turkey meat from Thanksgiving, ah. and it works because when you have that many kind of sauces and spices, the meat just absorbs all that stuff. So you can kind of put you know, any sort of meat in there. I think sausage would be fantastic. Well, you can use leftover steak bits, leftover brisket, like whatever. Don't, don't, don't get too particular about the meat. Maybe don't go fish. No, you know, that would be no. terrible, but you know, anything pork, anything Turkey, anything chicken, anything beef, whatever. Cranach, we will continue this uh, chili discussion uh, next week or something along the Cranach recipe. I would love to. With, with, love to. And it complements your NFL weekend of football. NFL all day today, all day tomorrow on ESPN. Lincoln Cranach, be good. We'll talk next Saturday, bud. You as well, sir. All right. Big thanks to Damon Barr. Get you ready for the national title on Monday with Hale Varsity at 4. Take care.